Welcome to That Bleeping Podcast, a podcast wherein four academics who love television recap, analyze, and love and hate on all things popular culture. Right now, we're working our way through Degrassi The Next Generation, taking them two episodes at a time. Today, episode 212 and 213 on uh, the white wedding. Um, So before we start two things, spoiler alert, there will be full spoilers as we recap each week's episodes. And sailor alert, we'll swear a little, so, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm Tiffany Salter. I'm a professor of Asian American and Pacific literature uh, and uh, film and screen studies. But I also get to do fun things like cartoons and sci-fi. I'm Jacinta. I'm an assistant professor of English, uh, mainly study television, film, and pop culture, also teach uh, writing and digital media and literature. I'm Sonic Gabbard. I am in the Department of Women's and Gender Studies and Peace and Conflict Studies. Uh, I mostly focus on political economy, transitional government, etc., cetera, uh, with a feminist and queer lens. But in this, I get to talk about pop culture, which I sometimes teach, again, from a feminist perspective. I'm Brendan Shaw. I uh, am an English professor in a humanities department. I teach a lot of composition, also African-American literature and genders and studies courses. Genders and sexuality studies courses. <laughs> studies courses, man. Thurlman. Study and studies. Exactly. Go interdisciplinarity. Woo. <laughs> so, Brendan, I think uh, you're recapping for us today. I am. So as Tiffany said, uh, today we're talking about episodes 12 and 13 in season two. Um, And these are, it's a two-parter episode called White Wedding, both episodes. Uh, The central story here is about the wedding of Emma's mom, Spike, and the kid's teacher, Snake, or Archie. Um, And so that's the sort of central storyline. Every other storyline sort of branches off of that. Uh, And the central storyline really starts with Emma trying to sort of help her mom get ready for her wedding. Uh, She sort of is in charge and comes to find out that her mom uh, thinks she's pregnant. She takes a pregnancy test, discovers she is pregnant. And that sort of sets the stage for the drama in this episode um, as Spike decides that she should tell snake uh she sort of plans try to tell him and then all of their friends from when they were in high school aka people from the original degrassi series show up there's a lot of busyness of getting ready for the wedding she doesn't really have a chance to talk one-on-one with snake and when she tries to start bringing it up they can't have the conversation but they do end up having a sort of public conversation where snake says he doesn't really want to have kids right now he wants to wait so then Spike starts, starts to sort of spiral. Um, and the episode ends with her sort of having a confrontation with Emma 
about whether or not she might have an abortion and that their argument about this spills into the second episode um, where Emma sort of feels like she shouldn't have an abortion. Uh, Spike feels like maybe it would be a good choice, partially because she thinks Snake doesn't want a kid right now. Um, And she refers to having made the same mistake twice which really upsets Emma, which makes it seem like her pregnancy or her birth when her mom was a teenager was a mistake. And that sort of sets the stage for them to be in a fight. And Emma goes to Manny. Manny tells her to let it go. Meanwhile, uh, Spike has decided to tell Snake in the morning. Emma can't let it go. She stays up late. She goes over to Joey's house where there's the bachelor party. She tells Snake... Uh, about the pregnancy and the abortion. Snake is angry. He yells at Emma, which we can talk about whether that's appropriate, uh, and all the way around. And um, basically there's a lot of fighting. And the ultimate upshot of this episode is that Spike and Snake meet back up at the end of the episode, have a long conversation, come to the realization that things are gonna be complicated but they can make this work. They're going to have the baby. Uh, at least that seems to be the upshot of it. And they show up at the last minute at the court or at the church. They get married and then there's a reception. The sort of other plots that are happening, one is while all this is going on, Emma is dealing with whether or not she wants Sean to be at the wedding. Manny wants him there in a sort of matchmaker role and invites him. Uh, Emma sort of freaks out. Manny goes and uninvites him because she feels bad about going behind Emma's back. And when Emma's feeling really like she screwed up, she goes to Sean, who gives her some advice, and she re-invites Sean. And at the end of the episode, he's at the reception, and they share a kiss. And the, the third plot is really about JT and Toby and Craig and whether or not there will be strippers at uh, Snake's bachelor party and whether or not they get to see the stripper and ultimately there is a stripper because Joey's in charge of it and he's Joey. And the boys don't get to see the stripper Fancy, but Fancy or Caitlin is also a client of Spike and she comes to the wedding and the reception where they get to encounter her and there's sort of predictable hijinks involving the boys. So those are the sort of three storylines here. Gotta love those two-part episodes, man. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and preempt Brendan here and say Miss Kwan was looking really great when Emma rushes in to give her her one essay and one attendance, <laughs> but first hands her her tennis <laughs> shoes, uh, and uh, and just uh, looking like Miss Kwan being there is is delightful. And can we talk about how she then says, if only all students were as hardworking as you, Emma? <laughs> yeah. oh. I'm surprised that you went with Quan and not Archie's Viking Ram hat, which also, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, did you all know what Ram stood for? Because I did not. <laughs> Random access memory. Apparently. <laughs> I mean, I did uh, in like elementary school computer class. I mean, I did because that's what the, uh, what is the electronica group that had an album with the song with Bruno Mars, uh, Get Lucky. Daft Punk? 
Yeah, the Daft Punk oh, album is called oh. Random Access Memory. Oh. oh, I thought you were like going with the chain smokers, and I was like, no. the chain no. smokers. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the music. <laughs> so I I was thinking about this episode a lot in terms of Emma. I know Emma is a complicated and some often very frustrating character. I thought what I liked about Emma in this episode was her hair, the conversation she has. Well, her hair, of course. We, I didn't mention her awful, her mistake perm. Uh, so one of the things I didn't mention is that when uh, her mom tells her about the pregnancy, they've just set in a perm and the perm is sort of forgotten in all the conversation. And then it's undone much perm. later. Yes. Okay, uh, as somebody who doesn't, I have naturally, naturally curly hair. I think, I, I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast, but my mom still would get me perms, even though I didn't have to get a perm because I have curly hair. Why? Um, I got that because she, she was like, it'll control the curls. I don't know, straight hair ladies trying to do curly hair. But um, so Emma's perm was supposed to just add a little volume. But it ends up being a really tight um, perm that looks a lot like, uh, Pe- not Patricia Arquette, the other Arquette that was in Suddenly Susan. Rosanna uh, Arquette? Yeah, Rosanna Arquette's uh, curl in that movie. So it's like a very 80s perm, really big. And it, honestly, uh, TBH, it looks like my hair when I don't put things in it. So I had a lot, I was like, her hair looks fine. It's fine. It's just big. Well, <laughs> this is the point at which I uh, interject for any uh, black listeners out there to <laughs> clarify that perm in this context means curly hair as opposed yeah. to our context where perm means straight hair, which is something I did not learn until I watched Legally Blonde. Uh, <laughs> that what oh, this yeah. different context was, but just for the sake of clarity. There, there's yeah. a difference here. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's the same. It's the same chemicals. You just the. It's just setting it differently. So Emma's got full like old lady curlers in her hair for most of the episode, and that's why it's very curly. Yeah, I grew up in West Texas in the eighties and nineties, and uh, I basically had a perm from the time that I was in second grade through middle school. Uh, And I distinctly remember the last time I got a perm in, I'm going to go ahead and say a too late age of 15, uh, that uh, I I had regrets almost immediately that last perm. But like, uh, it is, it's, it's just it's so much it's so much it's so much look it is I have I have all of these pictures of like permed mullets in my in my background (laughs) that is everything yeah I love it permed mullets that's you know as one does as one does I appreciate that we're, we've gone down this hair rabbit hole because I think there are two things to kind of bring us back into the plot. One, for those who don't remember, Spike uh, slash Christine, Emma's mom, is a hairstylist. Uh, and two, this this episode is also a reunion episode where other people from the original cast show up to go to the wedding. So there's a fun little like interplay with Emma's hair kind of being a nod to the original Grassy folks who now are all grown and cute and sexy. 
Yeah, because if you watch the original Degrassi, one of the things that is notable is Spike's hair, which is kind of <laughs> like the predecessor to Ellie's hair. Um, if we were <laughs> trying to make comparisons, like Spike's hair in the original series is wild. Uh, peak 80s wild. <laughs> She's cool. She's a hip lady. Um, can we talk super quick about this um, invitation that Manny hands to Sean that says Spike and Snake on the cover? Like, this is a very, like, late 90s, early aughts, um, do-it-yourself home invitation. It's, like, on this, like, marbled paper, like, marbled beige paper. And it's got, like, it's clearly done like in the media immersion uh classroom printer and <laughs> it's this weird like trifold it is it is so ugly <laughs> it is so ugly well they didn't have sh- they didn't have a uh, what do you call it um mo- what is it shutter shock or whatever <laughs> so they uh they were making do okay <laughs> I mean, so what I was going to say before I broke this weird beaded bracelet that's on my desk uh, about Emma was, I mean, Emma's often very annoying. In this episode, I kind of, I struggled with Emma partially because I felt like some of the way she was written didn't make sense to her character. Um, It made a lot of sense to me that she would meddle. And it made a lot of sense. And what I actually liked is the conversation she has with Sean in the second episode where, so Manny has invited him and then disinvited him. And then she goes to Sean and she sort of is looking to invite him, but also wants someone external to everything that's going on in her life to sort of listen. And Sean is progressively becoming kind of an asshole in this show. But in that moment, I thought he was pretty good at sort of helping remind us that she is a meddler, but also she's like a kid tween. Cause he says like, yeah, you do meddle, but that's not a reason for people to hate you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked that. What I didn't find believable to me and the way Emma was written was the stance she takes when her and her mother discuss abortion, partially because as written so far, Emma's character is this sort of, capital L liberal and in the conversation with her mother, her mother says all the things we want to hear about a woman's right to choose. And Emma's stance didn't quite make sense to me. And I didn't feel like it was ever really fleshed out in a way that I entirely believe for her character. She defaults to like, it's a life. And I was like, I don't get this. Yes, I wrote the same thing down. I was like, this doesn't fit with her capital W, capital F, white feminism. Uh, But I do think they tried to address that when she talks about how her mom would have aborted her. So kind of thinking about Emma being an unplanned pregnancy, I don't know, it kind of, it made me think like, oh, Emma's got a few more layers to her, Mm -hmm. a few more nuances and complications to her, her, like you said, liberal politics. But I also agree. Well, they I think they could have done a little bit more kind of explaining to us why uh, she's so... Later, she says to Manny, I guess to follow that, she does say she wants... She has a couple of conversations with Manny about this idea that she wants a full family. 
And so I do think that maybe we're supposed to also understand this idea that as much as she loves her mom and she's been cool with it, a part of her wants this sort of two parents, two child family, I guess, and this child would give that to her. Yeah, I think all that stuff is about how I interpret it. Like, on one hand, it definitely does not match up with, like, Emma's, I guess, public lived politics, but also, like, the personal component of it is is changing things a bit for her in terms of how she's thinking about, like, the family dynamics that she wants. The other thing to remember here is that I believe it was ninth grade when Spike had Emma, so approximately 14, 15 years old. So, I mean, in the context of this show, uh, Spike is only, like, 28 now. (laughs) Like, they've been together uh, as a duo for literally, like, half of Spike's life. And um, this, you know, I think that speaks a lot to the sort of dynamics of their relationship and what Emma expects from her having literally grown up with her mother. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I I just, I think the reason it, it felt odd was because, yeah. I think that all makes sense. I think that the layers don't always get through, especially because mm-hmm. they have Spike talking the language of like choice and a women's yeah. right to choose. And yeah. then later in her conversation with Snake, they even have her giving statistics about the pill. <laughs> you know, tells, uh, casual, later, casual. So just to clarify for folks who are listening who haven't watched the episode or don't remember, when they're walking along the water and she's talking to Snake about how she did get pregnant, he says, I thought you used the pill. And she says, well, the pill's only 98% effective. We're the unlucky 2%. And I was like, is this an ad? Like, for birth control? Sort of? And I was like, did they, I guess they don't have Google yet, but did they go on Encarta and find these statistics? (laughs) Uh, Um, I believe you mean ask Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, also though, like I there I like the thing that I would expect people to be weird about, which is like the idea of your teacher getting your mom pregnant is not at all what anybody yep. is weird about. Like that so to me is much more awkward in this situation. <laughs> and all of the at the big we start that first episode with the students all like congratulating Snake in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Like are they so invested in this man's wedding he is their random teacher of media and all although so didn't invested. i we had an earlier couple set of episodes where they crossed that bridge right wasn't there an episode where emma had to reckon with it because she was really mad that they were together yeah 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 but still <laughs> Well, and also it's, it's like, why are JT and Toby ushers at the wedding? Like, I thank you because I mean, like, this is your teacher, but also a classmate who like is not a friend. Like, you know, I mean, I guess they're friends in so much they're friendly in school together, but like, why are they there? Yeah, I wrote that down too. I was like. Um, I mean, when I was in middle school, my parents tolerated my acquaintances with, and that was them being very generous. 
So the idea of them being like, bring over your socially awkward, creepy young friends to interact with our closest family members and friends um, to be ushers because 12 and 13 year old boys are really good at executing tasks. Well, we do know that Manny, Emma and JT grew up together. So there is like a, a long history there. So probably, you know, they know Spike pretty well and Toby's just there because JT is there. I think you mean JP. Uh, JP and what was Tony. it? JP Tony. and Tony. Because Craig doesn't know their names. Apparently. Yeah, that was really dumb. That was so dumb. I, I was like, I don't believe that. that for a minute. This is ridiculous be, for many reasons, including like they are at least broadly sometimes interacting with the same people. Like Craig <laughs> is not off by himself on an island somewhere he he should know their names but also this gets to the other point of this damn stripper plot okay so the boys jt and toby definitely they want there to be a stripper there at their teacher's bachelor party because they want to see a stripper somehow and which is on brand for them fine and then they rope in Craig, who convinces Joey oh because Snake doesn't want a stripper at the party. But somehow the 14-year-old or however old Craig is supposed to be now convinces the adult, Joey, to have a stripper at this party. And then <laughs> it is just a ridiculous series of events. I mean, actually, I don't know. That I believe, because Joey's kind of gross. I'm sorry. No, so I wrote... No, that's Ugg. true. I wrote Ugg Men, Ugg Joey, Ugg Craig. I believe that I believe that Joey would do that. Yeah. That was the least be- unbelievable part. I believe it, but also it was like a little bit like really, really, really. <laughs> I, I could totally, I agree. Joey is the type of paternal figure that would listen to and take advice from his teenage uh, stepson. But also the other thing about all of that that I kept thinking about was how how much of a power move Craig was doing throughout the episode. Like to, to uh, forget JT and I, I almost said JP and Tony's names, to forget their names, to convince Joey to then assume that he gets to be part of the stag party. Like Craig is, this is Craig's world. We all just live in it, you know? Like he he's the master of his universe. Yeah, I mean, he was he was at the party until JT and Toby showed up and messed that up for him. Well, I mean, the the that they thought that they that any of them thought that they were going to get to see the stripper is the wildest part to me. I mean, there's a no, let's talk. I mean, the fancy storyline. So the stripper's like stage name is Fancy, and um, can I just ask: Is this like the one stripper in town? Like, is she? Is she? Because it seemed they seem very committed to this one stripper. I think it's I mean, a social distancing subplot because they're only allowed to stay in their neighborhood, and she's the only one on their block. I see. <laughs> I see. I mean, I, so this is one of the things that Degrassi does where it wants to be like, have things both ways, because on the one hand, the way that Fancy is treated, I think, 
is an attempt to give her sort of like she's so she's not just like a stripper in a movie so she's at the end of the episode we learn that she's one of uh spike's clients uh like salon clients she has a name she has a partner who comes with her to the wedding and the reception and so i think and there spike gives a little cut like says a little thing about how like fancy can do what she wants with her body it's her business and that's like wow interesting but also when she shows up to the house for the stag party they still film her like starting with her heels then her legs she's still like a body for the camera Mm-hmm. And it was just a very, like, I mean, she does do this thing with her heel where she puts her heel on the boom box and starts playing the music. And I was like, that is badass. <laughs> I wish I could do that. Was that was my favorite part. But I just couldn't decide how the show wants us to feel about this plot. Like, the the boys are clearly a joke. And, like, they mm-hmm. don't get to see her until they don't get to see her performance. And they fall asleep outside of the house. And that is very peak JT and Toby, where, like, they don't Mm -hmm. get to see what they want to see. But I wasn't sure overall what we were supposed to think about it. When Craig brings it up first, Joey says, that is sexist. And then he, in the same conversation, does a 180. So I, I think Joey's reaction is kind of how the show wants to treat the whole thing. Like, men ogling at women is sexist. But also, yeah, and I mean, so this isn't the first time that the camera has sort of done the work of like ha- has mm-hmm. been the sort of proxy for um, the care the particularly male characters in the show of like looking at um, people's bodies in particular ways, um, and like it's happened before with the hot science teach teacher. It like, we've seen like, we've seen the cameras sort of do things, um, do things like this, you know, before and spoiler alert a little bit for the next episode, but like, you know, it, it, it continues to do it. So I'm always interested in sort of like, like what the sort of politics are of, saying the thing like this is not a great like way to be in the world you know like objectifying women or you know treating women in a particular way but then like enacting it anyway um it's a it's a weird sort of um like it's a weird kind of like um oh, i can't think of words this morning y'all <laughs> double bind or not double bind uh fuck whatever i mean it's a tension in the show it's a central tension where the show because the comedy of what's going on with jt and toby relies in part on a very like 80s sex comedy thing which relies on us sort of agreeing with them that this person is hot by conventional standards and yet the politic of the show requires an undercutting of the comedy, but the show wants the comedy too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because and they're, and I think the worst line is when one of them says privacy isn't in her vocabulary when they're deciding if they should stake out the bachelor party or not. Mm-hmm. And I think the end, when Spike gives us the sort of like feminist politic of sex work and you know, it, you know, 
stripping, when she says Nancy can do with her body what she wants, it's her business. It's, that's the sort of tension that you're describing, I feel like, Tiffany, but in verbalized. Yeah, I also think, like, we obviously know, you know, to that end, this show has, like, some very didactic aims, but at the same time, they are, in as much possible, I think, often trying to show, like, actual perspectives that people would have or actual things that people would do so like you could have they could have created a scenario where like all the boys were like oh no that's sexist blah 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 but like would that have been believable from these particular groups of characters maybe not um could they have done more to sort of undercut their behavior i mean they have 22 minutes so we have to remember that as well uh, I also think I was thinking about this as we were watching this, like in the historical context, like in 2002, right? Um, in teen shows, we're not getting overwhelming positive messages about sex work um, or uh, women's right to choose or anything Absolutely. like that. Yes. Right. So like the fact that we are getting this stuff from Degrassi at the time was like huge, Absolutely. Um, even in just the little snippets. We Absolutely. Get. I just I just I, like I just find that the, the work that the camera is doing that undercuts that in some ways, particularly um, interesting, slightly problematic um, and like uh, I, I just wonder like it like what the sort of like intention behind it is because, because there is a very male gazy, like, mm-hmm. uh, like function of the camera uh, kind of throughout whenever they are talking about these kinds of issues. Like it puts the, it puts, mm-hmm. it puts the viewer into the position where they can't like look anywhere else other than at the body of, whoever it is, is the, the object to be looked at at the moment. Somebody tag in Laura Mulvey. Yeah, right. Uh, I do. <laughs> I do think or not. It, is, it is interesting that there is the, I mean, as much as it does do the male gazy stuff, there's a buildup and we see a very small bit of fancy going into this bachelor party. And then the camera that the boys have set up goes out and then the next time we see them, they've fallen asleep. And we see a lot more of Fancy at the wedding and the reception where she has like a partner and she's talking. And so I do think there's some attempt to undercut that. I mean, it doesn't entirely. Um, what I thought was actually most interesting to complicate things is that, and this kind of goes to Cinta's point about like maybe the realism is not is that as much as, Snake doesn't want this. He doesn't make them make Fancy leave. Right. He's just very sheepish about it. Partly because, I mean, I think we're supposed to understand that he's sort of over, like there's, he's sort of peer pressured because that party is mostly people that he doesn't seem to know. Mm-hmm. And he's very sheepish. And in the conversation at the very end with Spike, she sort of stands up for Fancy, but judges the people that would go to fancy which i thought was also a complicated thing to say because then it's sort of i understood the politic of what she's saying and i thought it was a joke but also it's a whole other thing going on there 
I mean, that's also a very, again, that's a very, at the time, contemporary third wave feminist thing too, right? The like, stop prosecuting sex workers, prosecute dons. Like that was all over the pop literature for feminism too. So Spike seems very on, like very with it for that feminism at the time. I like to imagine her reading those books while she's cutting hair, you know, <laughs> casually, you know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Can we talk about Sean and Emma, please? Yes. Um, oh. And in particular, the ending of episode two, which is like your rom-com dreams come true. <laughs> and like, I'm very, very literal about this, right? So after Sean has been re-invited to the wedding, right? They have the wedding, they have the party, so on and so forth. Um, and everybody's dancing, like Manny's dancing with Craig, which, okay. Yeah, um, and, <laughs> and And like all these different groups of people, JT and Toby keep trying to dance with Fancy, which again, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then Emma looks at, this is an outdoor party, and she looks across the park or whatever. <laughs> And Sean, in his untucked shirt and jeans, and tie, uh, of course, un untucked dress, untucked dress shirt, I should say, yes, and tie, is leaning against a tree <laughs> while the wind is blowing, billowing his shirt around, and she sees him, and she goes over, and there's like this music playing that's very like on brand for this particular moment, um, very sappy and you know apropos and they go over and uh he's like it's a it's a slow song or something blah 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 so they start dancing and then they reconnect and kiss and whatever and it's like slow motion at the end it's a whole lot of things going on there i'm so glad you mentioned the music because it's like an all-for-one generic knockoff like they couldn't get their rights. <laughs> they couldn't get their rights to I swear. So they had somebody write something close to it. Yeah, yeah. Very simple. Well, and the freeze frame. I I mean, like I feel like we could just talk for a whole <laughs> half hour just about all the different freeze frames that end the episodes. But the freeze frame is like oh them God. like, you know, like looking at each other <laughs> and you know, right after they've kissed. Emma looks confused, though, or like there's something like her. She's a little bit confused yeah. in the freeze frame, or like her eyes are looking to the side. Like uh, I guess this is how people yeah. kiss. I mean, the thing I like about Emma and Sean, I don't love Sean, and that continues to be a thing, is that this two over the course of these two episodes like emma's sort of like i don't want sean why did you invite him manny and then she's like realizes she's angry but has some sort of feeling so then she goes and bites him and they sort of i mean it actually setting aside the rom commie nature it felt very what it felt like to be an early teen where you're like I have a feeling for you, but I'm not sure what that feeling is. I guess we kiss now. Oh, we kiss. Also in that freeze frame, all the baby's breath oh, that yes. is in Emma's giant hair, yes. the flowers are amazing. The little baby's breath flowers. I was like, this is the fullest like expression of this <laughs> hair. And it's amazing. I, um, 
uh, one side note and then a, a kind of big question but like in my I was just going through pictures and in my prom pictures from uh, my 11th grade there is my hair is curled and there is full-on baby's breath in my hair um, and it was just it was a moment it was a thing we did um, but I also wanted to pick mm-hmm, up on something that mm-hmm. you said about this um the interfering that Manny does and the interfering that Emma does. And I thought that it was interesting. They have this little, um, uh, little tiff back and forth uh, when, you know, uh, Manny basically says, stop being a baby and just get ready for the wedding. Emma says, mind your own business. And Manny says, I told you the same thing. Uh, And I thought that it was interesting because like, we've already seen Manty, at Manti, Manny interfere uh, <laughs> uh, with Sean or in the first episode, but she fixes it. And so I thought that it was interesting that Manny, um, like, like goes back and you know has to have that difficult conversation with Sean, um, and we don't see Emma <laughs> sort of like do the same we don't get that satisfaction we get the satisfaction of the wedding going on but we don't see her have another conversation with snake or spike about like i shouldn't have interfered um and i'm sorry or you know like how do i make this right in the same way that we see with manny and i think this goes back to the dynamic that we've talked about before with manny and emma which is like uh Manny is a super supportive friend um even if she doesn't always go about things the right way um but she does try to fix things and um try to do you know what is best but also I think you know like us she gets frustrated with Emma because Emma is Emma (laughs) and she can be vexing and like Manny I think Manny learns lessons better than Emma does for sure so they they have a hard time she also has a humility that just does not seem to be a humility and a self-reflexivity that Emma does not possess yep yep I was just thinking the stakes though are also different I mean I love Manny but Manny is also given in this and this is sort of a trend now. She sort of has become attached to these sort of love plots that are sort of secondary to um, like a, like another plot or she has like the Craig love plot and the couple episodes ago. I mean, she does apologize, but also the stakes of that meddling and the stakes of Emma's meddling are so different. It gets a lot, I don't know. I feel like the stakes are different I think the show maybe gives us instead of Emma talking to her mom and snake, we have the conversation with Sean where she tells him she feels like she ruined everything. And they sort of talk about the difference between like ruining everything. So no one will ever speak to you again and ruining everything, like interfering. He says like you interfering is nothing new. (laughs) And not that that sanctions it. I don't know. I guess I just don't, for some reason, Manny's interfering feels like it's pitched in a much lower register 
then Emma's interfering in this episode. Of course. Uh, and Emma's interfering might take might take longer conversations to have. But yeah. Well, that's that's because Manny's not walking around the neighborhood in her pajamas to tell people about oh pregnancies God. in the middle of the night. Oh my God. <laughs> There's so much happening in this. No, no, it's true. I mean, Manny's meddling is is eighth grade Yentl and uh, Emma's meddling is permanent consequences. You're absolutely right. I mean, I do think it is, and I know we find Emma annoying. I do think some of what happens in this episode, she gets treated a little bit more like an adult than she should. The way that Snake responds to her, whether or not she should have told him that, was kind of never also really resolved. Like on the flip side, he never says to Emma, I mean, he kind of does later, but like, he's kind of awful Yeah, to her. absolutely. And like, whether or not it was her place to share her mother's information. And obviously I think we're supposed to understand it's late at night and maybe he's been drinking. We don't really know. But he says like, he says stuff about their family and like, he I says, mean, what, what what kind of family yeah. is this? And I was like, this, that seems like an escalation, yeah. sir. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like, Emma is still a kid, right? Like, I mean, yeah. not that it means she's, in she's off the grade. hook. She's in the yeah, eighth grade. She's, she's not off the hook for what she did, but she is dealing with a lot of stuff. And for him to say that felt, that's why I guess sort of out of size, I mean, not out of size to what she's telling him, but out of size to the person. And I understand she becomes a proxy for her mother, which is also its own weird thing. Right. It's also equally d dysfunctional. I I hated Snake in these two episodes. I mean, I kept writing over and over again, toxic masculinity. He's a man child. What is wrong with this grown man? Because he, I realized like we're allowed to see snake react however he's going to react to this news but also i was i i actually thought it was like you said an escalation descent but also slightly an a, a disappointing intensification of earlier snake behavior in terms of the way he talks to emma and i think this is also about the way he interacts with uh, his students he he doesn't have boundaries and then it definitely applies to the way he treats treats emma Right, like when you have your students give you wedding presents and celebrate you and welcome it, I I think that's I think it's very strange and I think it shows a lack of of boundaries and space and understanding of what his role is as a teacher and mentor and not like their cool uncle or like their big brother or a possible father figure. I mean, the other thing is ultimately if he wants to play a little bit of second dad or second whatever that's also i mean it's complicated and of course this is like a very soap opera -y, now my teacher is my new stepdad thing but like that's also not a thing you say to a family like a, a child family member absolutely one of the things he does mention before he knows that she's pregnant about why he wants to wait is because he wants to learn how to be a stepfather um you know and so on and so forth right so i think there is at least supposed to be some acknowledgement that he is not know what he's doing yeah he's got a lot of learning <laughs> but his reaction 
his reaction is still not great. Yeah, there are also books and classes for those things. That maybe... And he's a teacher. He's a teacher. <laughs> he teaches exactly. children. That's what I'm it's saying. Not, it's not like he's an accountant who's never dealt with children. <laughs> and now it's not like he's meeting Emma for the first time this weekend. And he's like, wow. I mean, arguably, arguably, we could say, like, I mean, I can't remember how much contact we're supposed to imagine that Snake and Spike were having before the show started. But he, I mean, they've been friends since high school. So, I mean, like, at least in some capacity, he has known Emma for her whole life. Right. And again, I I don't, we saw that, I forget which episode he, when he and Emma, oh, it's the one where Emma's like, you're not my dad. And he's like, call me Archie or whatever. Uh, But also just to go back to it, I don't think that he, I, I think a lot of the adults don't know how to interact with, young people in the show, particularly the parental figures in the show, because I think the teachers, like Miss Kwan, she would not fuck this up. Miss Kwan would do everything <laughs> yeah. right, like she would. And and um, in a way, even Radich would do better than fucking Snake. But good Lord, I, Joey, Snake, Caitlin, I mean, Spike. I mean, I do think though that that again is our reminder that they're all like 28, right? So if you can imagine yourself at 28 with a 14 year old and how that might have gone. um, And like, it's one thing that Joey has Angie, but she's like, what, six? Like that is a, a different dynamic than having Craig, right? Well, and Spike has to ultimately I mean, she has her issues, but she's the one that basically, in that long conversation that her and Snake have by the water, essentially she has to walk him through the fact that he has to deal with this, right? Like, essentially that conversation is a series of ways, because we cut back to that conversation multiple times while other things are happening. So we're supposed to understand it's a long conversation where she more or less explains to him how they could have gotten pregnant because she's on the pill. Then she has to say, life doesn't wait for you to get settled. Basically, she has to talk him through this as opposed to a conversation where they talk it through together. Yeah. Right? It does feel like a lot of that conversation is her, which is partially perhaps the fact that she's had to escalate her maturity because she had a kid so young and she's had a lot more time to deal with it. But he's also a teacher. Yeah, and and her. Right. I mean, like this is not her first unexpected pregnancy, uh, and so I imagine that like a lot of the conversation that we see her have with him are things that um, she had to either tell herself or other people told her, and you know when she found out that she was pregnant with Emma, and also just as a long process, kind of acclimating yourself to like surprises like that. Well, um, other things before we sort of wrap up and and talk about our favorite things and predictions? Um, I do want to just briefly mention the awkward chemistry that's happening between Joey and Caitlin. Like, there's a lot of tension at the end when Joey catches a bouquet and Caitlin walks up and they had had a couple of other lingering glances earlier on in the couple of episodes. So I think that's really interesting. Um, I forget where Caitlin lives, but she doesn't live where they are, right? 
Uh, not right now, at least. Um, and the, you know, obviously, like I, we, I'm sure we talked about this in the first episode back when Caitlyn, no, Caitlyn had that boyfriend who was terrible um, when they started this series. Um, but Caitlyn and Joey were like the it couple in high school, right? Um, and so uh, it did not end well. Um, but <laughs> now that they're all grown up, we're getting, you know, flirtations again. Um, other flirtations and rekindling of uh, past relationships. I did find it interesting that Manny and Craig are dancing at the reception as if nothing happened yes. like two mm-hmm. episodes ago where they like right. fell apart. I mean, I guess yeah. Craig oh God, ha- yes. I, I guess we could interpret that as Craig having limited options of who to dance with, but also weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very weird. So, favorite things, one apiece. Oh man, I'm split between Happy Bat Mitzvah Rhoda, which is the cake that <laughs> they got. That was the the first sort of before the pregnancy thing. Emma opens up the cake that is delivered for the wedding. And it's clearly not the right cake because it says happy about Ritz or Rhoda. And then she drops it when she finds out that her mom is pregnant. It's so clearly not a real cake because it doesn't fall like anything heavy enough right. to be a cake. And then tied with that is Spike's eyeshadow at the Mexican restaurant. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Although that was Yeah, eyeshadow was on my list. <laughs> I think my 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 favorite i mean i uh that there's sort of an overlap here so one of them is uh tracker in this episode sean's older brother who is really just being the supportive older brother and like um oh you want to hang out this weekend we can go on a trip and sean's like oh i got this invitation to a wedding and then he gets uninvited and tracker's like cool um Sorry about that. You want to go on that trip now? And then uh, when he gets reinvited, he's like, oh, cool. I guess you got other plans now. And he's just mostly just sitting on the stoop, hanging out while Sean is working on a motorcycle. And this also overlaps with my um, it, investment in the evolution of Sean's wardrobe, including a leather jacket just like <laughs> his brother's. Um, because Sean does not like have much in the way of color palettes and things like that. But when he has this leather jacket that is like too big, and <laughs> he just looks like a little version of his brother. And I think that's well, cool. a leather jacket is expensive and you, he's got to le- leave himself some room to grow into it. Um, but also hot, but also sure. hot Chris Holden Reed. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like he's a jackass in the series, but he's a very beautiful person also sticking to our theme of canadian actors going from show to show to show right because he was in lost girl he was also in tutors he was also um, in dark matter which i really enjoyed yes yes um also john uh sean just dresses like judith butler (laughs) judith butler (laughs) look it up he dresses like no, Judith Butler. Not <laughs> Judith Butler. <laughs> no, he, he truly does. He's got the like tenured fa- women's studies queer theory faculty members look down to a T. Jeans, leather jacket, and a white shirt. Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean, he has he has like three shirts, <laughs> and that's it. 
So. Are you suggesting that Judy has more than three shirts? I imagine that Judith has more of the same like white shirt or the same black shirt. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Keep it simple, like Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> Tiffany. My favorite thing was Manny and Joey sucking helium and talking funny. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, my other favorite things were hot Chris Holden Reed and the white eyeshadow. But this was the other thing that I had on there. It was just, I don't know, in a in a very tense episode. It was a it was a moment of delight. Uh, my favorite things were the one can of Mountain Dew that Emma and Manny. <laughs> Because what I was two? like, she came over with that can and two cups. Like I, she I walked from her house with a can and two cups. I was like, this is the most responsible Canadian thing. Because she was like, you know what, M? We really don't need all this caffeine and high fructose corn syrup. So let's split it in half. Get our daily dose of sugar <laughs> and just move on with the day. That and then the. <laughs> The dude, the random extra that shows up to the stag party with a stack of vinyl yes. Yeah, that guy. Mm -hmm. I noticed that mm -hmm. guy as well. Good job, buddy. I was like, all right, party on, Wayne. <laughs> I, I just want to, I want to know, did Manny think that Emma didn't have cups? <laughs> was she planning to, like, meet her in the street halfway? Like, what was going on here? And they're also disposable cups. They're plastic that's, disposable cups. No, like, that's on brand because Emma probably doesn't allow disposable plastic cups in their house. <laughs> Manny's probably like, and this is before you could recycle five, level five plastic. So, Manny's probably like, this bitch is going to make me get a glass and we're going to have to clean it. Like, fuck this. I'm just bringing these solo cups over. So, predictions? You go for it, Brennan, because I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> I mean, all I had was that this is a lot, like, the besides Craig, the grade nines are basically not an issue in this episode and this is a whole two episodes without them which means clearly older kids drama is coming because the way the show works is on this pendulum where like sometimes they can bridge the drama between the two grades but otherwise the serious stories kind of go back and forth which i was like then clearly we have to have older kid drama coming that's what I predicted. Uh, my prediction is just more oh. snake and Emma awkwardness. Uh, I mean, it's not really. I, I have no crystal ball. I'm just sure that that is happening. <laughs> oh, God. Just thinking yeah. about what's on the horizon. Ooh. Ooh. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. We still haven't figured out a sign-off, have we? Mm -hmm. Unless, Sonnet, you want to do the honor. Whatever it takes. <laughs> I know I can make it through. You can find us on Twitter at That Bleeping Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at That Bleeping Podcast. Listen and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. Please rate and review us, share us on your social media, and help other fellow Degrassi nerds find our shenanigans. Shout out to Chris Robley for the use of his song Anonymous from his fifth solo album, The Great Lick Believer, as our theme music. Learn more about Chris and his music at Chris Robley, that's R O B 
robley.com and follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Chris Robley. As always, thanks for listening and listen for our next episode in two weeks.